This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel and Sally Lucas, good to see you again. And good day, Jane. We're off to one of our favourite countries. I know. People must get sick of me talking about France. Never, do you think they do? No, never. no, no, no. I'm sure they don't. Anyway, we're going to talk about a couple of different things in France today that are a little bit different. Um, firstly, we're talking about what they call hotel barge river cruising. Now, this sounds really interesting. Hotel barge river, river cruising. cruising. So it's, I guess it's like um, imagining that it's like a luxury hotel but on a barge. I guess if we want to call it that way. A moving one too. Exactly. So I'm just thinking, can you just imagine like sitting aboard as you pass the Eiffel Tower with its lights ablaze or sipping French champagne as you meander through the network of the French rivers and canals and, you know, in Picardy visiting Monet's garden in Giverny and all the things they do. And they go to places made famous by the Impressionist artists such as Van Gogh. Um, so it's really a very cultural, if you like, as well. You are exploring typical French villages, discovering arts and crafts, cultural centres, um, and you're getting like a cruise plus coach travel. So it's like a, a package on a barge. So there's lots of inclusions, um, which is fantastic, and you get the comforts of a like a, if you like a mini ocean liner, but you're on a a charm of a river steamer, you know what I'm saying. So it's like a combination. You're still getting top quality product, but you're on a barge and you're just meandering very slowly, as you know, down these canals and locks and so on. And they're quite amazing because you see pictures sometimes in some of those canals and they're basically almost touching each side. Um, so, so I suppose the fact those restrictions mean that the vessel can't be too big. No, and, and you can't self-skip it, just to let people know that. People get a bit confused. When you self-skip over there in any of the canals, it's more like a motor cruiser or a launch. The barges obviously are much bigger vessels, much longer, and they have to be obviously manned by someone who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they'd be too big for you to ha- to charter anyway. That would cost you a fortune unless you had a huge crowd. You know what I mean? So, yes. Um, so, yes, it's just um, a company called Outdoor Travel does this, and they have a lot of European small barge and canal river cruises, not just France, but France I think would be just fantastic. And this particular vessel we're talking about today is called the Anna Caluth, and beautiful, you know, seasoned wood tones, old world charm, big large windows, a piano bar, it's even got an exercise room and an outdoor hot tub. So, you know, it, you really would be spoiled. And what they've got at the moment is a special offer where they're giving two for the price of one on just a couple of sailings, which is really fantastic. And this is the ones parting from Paris this October on either the 11th or the 25th. And there are other cruises with discounts um, on the Lilib- uh, the Libelul in Burgundy is doing one as well, and also from uh, Lorraine in Alsace or Charlemagne on the Rhine and Moselle in Germany. So they do have other discounted prices for other areas, but the Anna Caluth does this wonderful area, as I said, going through this, this beautiful part of the, what they call it, the route of the French Impressionists, which I think would be just wonderful to do. And, of course, you're getting spoiled with beautiful food and sightseeing inclusions, and it, it, the ambience would be fantastic, I think. So you're not stuck on the uh, on the river. You do get out and you about. You get out and about as well, which is, which is great, as well. isn't it? Yeah. And whilst we're Frenching it... <laughs> 
um, let's go south. And it's an area that I guess a, not a lot of Australians seem to go to. We seem to head to, to the Loire Valley or, you know, down to the French Riviera or Normandy, you know, even Bordeaux, those areas. But the Basque area, which is quite a spectacular area in the French Pyrenees. And there's a, a lovely young man or, you know, young, I'm calling him young, I think he's younger than me, so he must be young. Anyway, <laughs> he's French, Patrick Ariula, and he lives in Barrel in New South Wales, but he and his Australian wife have been organising walking tours and slow food, food tours in the French Pyrenees for quite a while now. And his program's just been released for 2009. So if anyone's interested, and he, they own a little cottage there too, and you can actually rent the cottage, and you actually go and meet his mum and dad, and they cook you a home meal, and you go to markets and have great food experiences. So again, if you're thinking France, you know, think of the Basque. It's a lovely area, very mountainous, very attractive. Some of the walking tours are graded, like a heavier than others or you know, require a little bit more stamina but there's a program that would suit most people so just keep that in mind and they're called walking to tours and slow food tours in the French Pyrenees because the Basque is such a, an interesting people they are different from well, the peoples right. around them aren't they because of that Spanish influence of course being mm. you know just on the Spanish border because the Pyrenees of course trails down into Spain so yes I mean I just think it would be very different as you say to the French people you would meet in other regions so just another thing to keep in mind if you're going to France and do something a little bit differently. We're talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7. Sally Lucas, we're off to a rather fascinating part of Australia now. It is, and it is a fascinating part, even though I've only done small pockets of it myself, but we're talking Arnhem Land. And I mean, you know, dream time, centuries old traditions that go back hundreds, thousands of years, long before white man ever set foot on this this country. So Orion, which runs expedition cruising, has they do about one a year, just a specific cruise. And why I thought I'd bring it up, I just had in the back of my mind an article I read by a journalist, it's probably after the last voyage, um, departed. And she said she was virtually moved to tears in lots of these areas when they went ashore. She was expecting that, oh, you know, five-star blue rinse, you know, luxury cruising, you know, and but the experiences she had ashore with the Aboriginal women particularly and their spiritual beliefs, she said even if you're not a religious person, she got so much out of it spiritually, it really moved her. So it's a, it would be a wonderful thing to do, and this particular vessel is, is a deluxe vessel, as I said, but you do have an expedition team and specialist guest lecturers on board to sort of enhance your experience, and you have a comprehensive range of workshops and all sorts of things, so you're learning as you go. And it departs from Thursday Island in Torres Strait, and I think Thursday Island in itself would be an interesting place it's to have a few days before you even went on the cruise. I'd, I'd love to do that. And it's on the um, 25th of April. It's a seven-night voyage, which concludes in Darwin on the 2nd of May next year. So Thursday Island would be fascinating in itself and after that you go around the top of Australia obviously um, to places I mean I'd never even heard of like Yakala, um, Elko Island, Manangrida, uh, Pilangimpi which is on Melville Island etc. But they take you ashore on all these places um, so that you can um, bond with I guess the unique cultures and traditions of these communities which are normally not accessible by any other means. So this is your only way of getting there is actually on a, on a vessel. Um, there's no airstrips, there's no roads that will get you to these places. Um, so you're exploring, exploring rather remote coastal regions of Arnhem Land and you're stopping at some of the most important Indigenous art centres um, and, in, of course, Indigenous reserves, which you have to have permits, you know, to get into, as you probably know. And this is a 
perfect way that Orion organises all this for you to see these significant communities that you would normally have very limited access or maybe not even be able to get into. Um, and the voyage um, will appeal to people, I think, who are interested in Indigenous art, um, even from an investment aspect as well as an aesthetic aspect. But they've got um, a couple on it, Colin and Elizabeth Laverty, and apparently they've spent a lifetime of collecting Australian contemporary art and also one of the most important collections of Aboriginal art so their knowledge of course and they'll be on board to to talk to you and have lectures etc and so they'll they'll share their thoughts of the importance of Australian Indigenous art and they've also got a Howard Morphy who's the director of the Research School of Humanities at the Australian National University and he's an extensive author on Australian Aboriginal art also and to provide you with a better understanding of Indigenous art in Australia and what it means and you know we often look at it and think what does it mean you know we just see a series of dots but everything has a meaning and so it'll be good to have that all explained to you and there's also um, an aboriginal lady will be on board hetty perkins and she's a member of the eastern um, arenti and kalkadoon aboriginal communities and she's currently senior curator of aboriginal and torres strait islander art at the art gallery of new south wales so you're getting lots of interesting people on board and you're still going to get apart from the art side of it you're going to get a very spiritual experience of how our Aboriginal Indigenous people have lived for centuries and really experience their way of life. And see some wonderful scenery. Oh, the scenery up that top part of Arnhem Land is just mind-blowing. It just blows you away. I mean, the colour of the sea, the colour of the earth, that comparison of that red and the blue of the sea, and and then you're still getting spoiled with your lovely luxury cruise vessel and your nice meals by Serge Dancereau from Bathurst Pavilion. He does all the menus for the Orion. So you have a wonderful foodie experience as well as a... um, Probably a humbling experience to experience, yeah, with the Aboriginal and Indigenous culture, and an enriching one, I would think. I would think very enriching at all. Yeah, very enriching. So again, we're talking about something different to do. Two and URFM one hundred three point seven. Travel is the subject. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. And Sally Lucas, it's always interesting to see what happens when the airline awards come out. It is, Jane, and we all sit with bated breath wondering who's going to get the Airline of the Year award again when they've just been announced. And Singapore Airlines, for the second consecutive year, has taken out the award, and that's they've taken it out a few times over the last, I think, three times over the last ten years. Um, well. They, yeah. I mean, you do always get good feedback from people who fly with Singapore Airlines. I must say, I cannot remember the last time I ever had a, a bad comment about Singapore Airlines. And is this how the awards are determined? By it's determined by people filling out forms and handing them in. So it's definitely a cross-section of uh, people who fly with these airlines and they're encouraged to, you know, make their comments and then they're all obviously assessed and, and judged. So it's not like one person's just sitting there judging the airline. It's, it's the, the travelling public are really uh, judging them. So that's good to know. Um, the other one was Cathay was second. Hmm. And poor old Qantas, with all the rotten media coverage they've had lately, was third. So not poor old Qantas so at no. all. But so they're still obviously Qantas, keeping yeah. their act together as well, even though they've been in the press probably more than they deserve lately. But mm. I'm mm. sure lots of airlines have problems and hiccups and, you know, that as long as they're being rectified, that's the way I look at it, you know, they do the safety checks, they make sure they take you know, ground aircraft and do all the right things, well, at least you know you're flying with a very safe aircraft, aren't mm-hmm. you? Mm. 
Mm. So as long as all these things are done, that's the main thing. What's the accident rate been like, speaking of accidents, as mm. we um, as sort of in our minds, I suppose, this week with a span air crash? Yes, it's, it's always awful when you hear of one of these tragic disasters with airlines and we don't know the cause yet of course but uh, obviously very tragic for those people concerned but I mean overall airline safety has continually improved over the years you know certainly over the last decade in particular and I think um, the checks are more thorough um, you know, they do ground airlines, you know, very promptly if they feel there's an issue and issues do get addressed. And I think it was important too with Qantas to, um, change their mind about offshore servicing. So I'm saying thank heavens they are still having their aircraft serviced in Australia. We know the standard of our mechanics, aircraft mechanics and things here are very good, top notch. So yeah, it, that was a very unfortunate incident and we don't have many of them and there hasn't been many at all lately. I mean, it, we've been very lucky, I suppose, but it's still considered one of your safest forms of travel. Certainly car travel is far less safe. And uh, we will be back next Friday after the one o'clock news talking travel. Thanks to our sponsor Travel World Onking here on 2 and URFM 103.7.